We are on. We are recording. Check, 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 check. All right. Hello and welcome to Three Friends in a Book. I'm Holly. I'm Caroline. And today we are missing our third. We miss Janine. We're missing Janine. She's had a family emergency. And so we um, have decided to go ahead and, and get this done because we said we were going to do 1984 and we've we've read it. We've actually, um, our students read it for summer reading and we've yep. been working with it. So we decided to, to go ahead and get this podcast done. Um, so forgive us. Yes. Brain number one is not here. <laughs> That's what we call her. Brain number one. Um, you know, yesterday I was with some friends and um, we were talking about podcasts and he's like, what's up with your library podcast? And I was like, it's not a library podcast. It's a book podcast. There's a librarian on it. Is that what he meant? I don't know what he meant, but he did. He said, what's up with your library podcast? I guess people think of books and they think of libraries. Of libraries? I don't know. That's <laughs> random. It made me laugh. Um, but yes, brain number one, as we call her, our librarian is, is, is not, not here. So, so shout out. This is for you, Jake. This is for you, Jake. So we're going to try to get through this. Um, so just to remind you guys what, what we do here. One of our favorite quotes is by Hannah Arendt that says, The things of the world become more human for us only when when we can discuss them with our fellows. We humanize what is going on in the world and in ourselves only by speaking of it. And in the course of speaking of it, we learn to be human. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we read 1984 by George Orwell. And I feel like we warned you guys in the last podcast that we said that we were probably, we're going to, I mean, this is a political book, so we're going to make some connections to to what is going on the modern in the modern world. So I feel like I need to preface this by saying um, something that we often say in our class discussions is we might not say this right, but we're, we're going to try. We're going to try. Um, so we're not looking to offend or be divisive. Yeah, just to kind of think through yeah, ideas, think through ideas. So if we don't say something that is quite right we're 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 humans and that's why we're talking about it we're trying to learn we are humans we're alive humans um all right so george orwell 1984 it is is a dystopian novel Mm -hmm. do you want to tell us about that caroline well you know the dystopian tradition is um authors often adopt uh to take a world that looks very much like our own and um, and then kind of push it to the extreme based on some kind of influence, some kind of current influence mm-hmm. or idea that that author sees in the world that, you know, the, the author feels like has potential negative consequences for society. So he or she uses the dystopian um, genre to set up a world where things have gone very, very wrong. Mm-hmm. Um as a way of warning his or her readers about this particular thing, whatever, whatever it might be. And, um, what, if we don't act, if we don't make changes could potentially happen. Yeah. So George Orwell living in Europe through two world wars wrote this as a response to the rise of totalitarian regimes between the two world wars. Um, and he, for the most part wrote this, um, about Stalin, he is going to and Hitler that he is going to to look at at what these totalitarian regimes what they did for Germany and what it did to cause World War II, 
And he also wrote about what Stalin was doing because Stalin, even though Hitler was removed from power in 1945, Stalin died of natural causes in 1953. So he wrote this as a warning to Western democracies of this is what could happen if men like Stalin, totalitarian regimes like the regime he set up in the Soviet Union, if that wasn't stopped. Mm -hmm. So a warning to the democracies of, hey, he published this in, was it 49? Yes. 1949. This is what our world could look like in 1984 if we don't do something about it. Um, And so that was what he was writing in response to. Mm -hmm. So he believed in standing up against totalitarianism, standing up against fascism. um, And that's, yeah, that's what he was doing. Um, And, you know, the allusions to this novel seem to be all over the place right now. Have you noticed that? Yes. Quite a few... Articles um, referred to him in, in, in social media. I see a lot of people talking about how George Orwell would be rolling over in his grave at this point in time. Uh, but there's a lot of allusions to, to 1984 with um, what is happening with North Korea mm-hmm. in particular. Um, if you're interested, I did a podcast on my <laughs> quick plug. Get a plug in. <laughs> on my other history podcast. Um, and it's all about the rise of um, Kim Jong-un in North in North Korea. What's that history podcast called? Running Through History. Okay. Yep. Um, and then some people have made some allusions to what's happening here in America. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, yes, they have. Yes, they have. <laughs> um Specifically, we had our students read this book over the summer thinking that we were going to start the year with a freedom of speech kind of unit. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, well, it didn't, kind of, it didn't happen that way yeah. because... Charlottesville. Charlottesville happened right when school started. Mm-hmm. And we decided that we wanted to address that with our students. Um, and so we kind of took the opportunity to... Um, have them research and learn about Confederate mon- monuments, the history of them mm-hmm. and um, the debate surrounding them now. And in lots and lots of the articles that came up in that research, there were allusions to Orwell yep. in 1984 yep. all the, over the place. Of uh, Usually one of, you know, one of the, of the arguments that we discovered as we were doing our research on this was that many people think that, by getting rid of or destroying or removing the Confederate monuments is quote unquote erasing history. Mm-hmm. And so in 1984, that's actually one of Winston, Winston, who's the main character, that's his job. Mm-hmm. He works for the ministry of truth and he um, basically erases history. Anything, any, any, any person or event that big brother, the political party, they don't want to have a record of or, or like they existed. His job is to, to delete that, to literally erase it from put, history like it never happened. Put it even down happened. the memory hole, By they the call hole. it. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's, that right there, you guys, is, um, I mean, Stalin did that. I mean, that's straight up from the history books. Um, you know, I often talk about a couple of characters, not characters, people, men, who were a big part of the Soviet Union um, of their early history who eventually stood up to Stalin and didn't like him. Mm-hmm. And if you were to read history books from the 1920s and 30s, those two men, and particularly Leon Trotsky, they would not be in there. Mm-hmm. It's like he never even existed. Uh-huh. Um, and so anyways, so that is is going to be what we were looking at with the Confederate monuments, that argument that people bring up with George Orwell, that by 
removing them that it's erasing history. Well, because one of the things that happens in this novel, right, Big Brother in their attempts to um, rewrite history mm-hmm. so that it fits with their current, whatever their current political message is, they look back into the historical records and either modify or eliminate mm-hmm. anything that doesn't, that wouldn't lead them to whatever their current political message is yeah. that would be contradictory to it in any way. And so one of the things the novel's about is about lies and how yeah. lies become truth. Yes. Right. Mm-hmm. And um, many people, I think, see um, parallels in American government at the moment. There's a lot in the news about false news and fake news yeah. and um, um, political leaders not um, maybe checking the facts or knowing all the facts, getting mm-hmm. facts wrong. And then as soon as, you know, as soon as lies or even lies by omission of information are told now, you know, those they go all over, right? Social media very, very yes. quickly. Mm-hmm. And there are lots of people who believe everything they see and read, right, on the Internet. And so this idea that it doesn't, you know, lies that are told so often that they become that they become a truth, Mm -hmm. just how very dangerous that is and how difficult that is to fight. Yes. If it's the people in power Mm -hmm. telling the lies. I've, I've told my history students for the past year or so I'm like it this is a very tricky time to be a history teacher because I have a lot of students who ask me questions about things that they have seen on social media mm-hmm. things they've seen in the news and try to get down to the truth of it and in getting down to the truth of it proving that what is being said is not true at all right and presenting them with like th- these these are the facts and trying to be you know in a non-biased way Mm-hmm. But to say this is this is the reality of it. And so another thing, too, that I think is important for students to take away is the importance of um, of checking sources, mm-hmm. of verifying truth, verifying facts, and not just believing anything and everything that you see on the Internet, because it does. How Even many t- if it validates your own point of view, yeah, too, right? That you still, and you look and see, because as you said, these these lies or these falsehoods, becomes people they become people's truth because if you see it on enough oh yeah people's twitters yep or enough people's facebook's whatever it is that they like the lie becomes ingrained in in, in once it's are. out in circulation mm-hmm. you know you can't really bring you can't really reel it back in yeah you know yeah. it's out there and it just becomes really difficult to to combat it so one of the things um, that kind of came up in our research about the confederate monuments i think is a good example of that and that is the um one of the justifications for putting up the monuments years ago was what we what we've learned about was the the lost cause Mm -hmm. movement um can we explain what that is sure okay um so one of the things that we I did, had to learn about this, I didn't really know this. Well, and I had to go honest. back because I'm, I'm a world history teacher and I had to go back and I had to, had to check some sources and kind of re- re- refresh my brain about, about all this. You know, when these monuments were put up and I'm sure this is circulated on, on the internet. And so we had to go and we had to make sure that, that this was in fact true, that when a lot of these monuments were put up, they were actually put up 
like 1895 and on, up until the mm-hmm. 1960s. Actually, when I looked at it, there was even some put up in the last couple of years. So they're not put up immediately after the um, Civil War. Mm-hmm. They were put up as symbols of white supremacy, basically. Mm-hmm. And so the rhetoric or the or the story around these um, around these mo- monuments is this this idea that that developed about about the lost cause that the Civil War wasn't necessarily about slavery, uh-huh. that it was more about protecting um, the Southern way of life, which is essentially was built on slavery. But what I mean by that is we we, we, we kind of looked at the, at the, if we think about like the gone with the wind version of history, the old plantations, the money, the parties, just the wealth and that, and that very just idealistic picturesque, Picturistic? Is that a word? Picturesque. Picturesque. Thank you. <laughs> picturesque um, view of, of, of the South. Yeah. And that in the Civil War, that's what they were fighting to protect. But in all reality of it, the Civil War was about slavery. Well, all that money and all, all that, that wealth money. and that way of life was built on the backs of people. Of people. Right. Who who were, who, well, people who weren't considered to be people. people. Right. People who were property, people pro- who were property, who property, who were beaten, who were raped, who were tor- I mean, just who were, you know, con- not considered to be human being. So years later, when particularly in the South, right, when the when people are learning about Civil War history, mm-hmm. they are not learning the, you know, the word slavery is not mentioned, right? Mm-hmm. So generations of people are learning, oh, the Civil War, it's about Southern pride. Yeah. It's about the, a way of life. They're trying to take our way of life, which of course is all founded on slavery. Yeah. But that is something that, in my personal opinion, gets dropped down the memory hole. Yeah. Like the word slavery yeah. gets dropped down the memory hole. So these monuments go up and therefore these Confederate leaders, um, you know, and the people who are putting them up would say, Oh, well that's because they were leading the fight for the South and mm-hmm. the Southern way of life or whatever. And, um, I don't know. That's all, that is it. And to me that may, it, it helps me understand yeah. why people f- fight so, um, viciously mm-hmm. to, to maintain them because I think a lot of people generally do not understand yeah. Yeah. And one of the things that we that. Lo- looked at, too, was how how is the Civil War taught in different places? Mm-hmm. And we listened to a couple interviews of people who kind of talked about how the Civil War was taught. The, the one guy lived in Florida, right? Mm-hmm. I think there's another one that was in Texas, and they weren't... Slavery was kind of on the back burner of everything. It was more about states' rights. Oh, yeah. Um, and so one of the things that we did in part of our you know, pursuit of, of, of the truth is we went to a former history professor and kind of said, what, what do you think? I mean, Mm -hmm. he's a Southern man from, um, Mississippi, Kentucky. Where's he from? Anyways, but he is a a former, uh, professor of American history. And he was, he said any legitimate history professor, history teacher in the last three to four decades will not teach the civil war as a debate. They will not teach it that it's about state rights, that it is about slavery. Um, and so that kind of, that helped us, too, in, in our understanding of just how it is taught in different places. In some places it is taught as a, as a debate. Um, but when, it, when you boil it down, it's about slavery. But as you said, in some places still, that's shot down the memory hole. So I would argue 
that the whole rewriting or erasing history is just a gigantic fallacy hole. Because I would argue that... It's already been rewritten. That's right. That, that, That when... Whoever decided, or when, however that happened, when when the people started teaching and talking about the Civil War without talking about slavery, that was memory hole. Mm-hmm. And the what people are trying to do now is to get it right, yeah. to, to get the history right. And so that's why one of the of, of, of the responses to to the monuments is let's put them in a museum, mm-hmm. put them in a museum, not trying to erase history, mm-hmm. which that's argument drives me crazy anyway because as a history teacher my job is to teach history and not monuments and not statues never learned anything i really didn't learn from. any history from any monument i didn't ever, study so. i know that might be kind of i don't know if i'm being a jerk to that argument but i didn't study any monuments in history i don't think you're being a jerk about it i just think look i would gen the argument never goes any farther than that that yeah. I have heard or read, and I've done. We've done a lot of reading yeah. and learning about this, and I haven't heard anyone ex- really explain in a way that makes sense to my brain, feeble though it is, <laughs> um, that how these monuments are so essential yeah. to people remembering things. I just mm-hmm. don't. It does that doesn't. Yeah, I don't know. Um, so put them in a museum in a proper context. Yeah, it's one of the words that we saw in several argue uh, 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 articles was to recontextualize them, um, so that the truth can be told. Yeah, um, about what they, why they were put up, what they stood for at the time, which is why they have become symbols and rallying points for um, white supremacists, like mm-hmm. in like in Charlottesville. Um, so, yeah. So why don't you tell us, let's go back to the novel and tell, tell them a little bit about some of the Orwell, some of those quotes that you were sharing with me earlier that things that Orwell said specifically about what he was responding to. All right. And I thought these were interesting because, you know, the other group that we're seeing in the news a lot lately is the Antifa. I don't know if I'm saying that right. They're the anti-fascist. And so are there people who are on the other side of the coin who show up at these rallies to fight against the hatred. And so one of the things uh, that really where I see Orwell a lot is people talking about the Antifa showing up to try to shut down the rallies for the KKK or the rallies for the, for the Nazis. But in fact, um, George Orwell hated fascist. Like he literally went to, he was a war co- um, corresponded in the 1930s for the Spanish Civil War, which was literally about fascism. He was there to fight against the fascist party taking power. They won. The fascist party won in 1936. Um, but that's why he was there. And so here's a quote. It's kind of a long one, but I feel like it's a good one. Um, and it helped him in writing this novel. So here's the quote. Quote, I saw great battles uh, reported where there had been no fighting. I saw complete silence where hundreds of men had been killed. I saw troops who had fought bravely, but then denounced as cowards and traitors. And others who had never saw, saw a shot fired hailed as the heroes of imaginary victories. And I saw the newspapers in London retelling those lies and eager intellectuals building superstructures over events that never happened. I saw, in fact, history being written not in terms of what happened, but what ought to have happened according to various party lines, hmm. end quote. Um, which I think ties into what we're talking about with the modern world 
and it ties into the lost cause that over and over again this 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 has happened where certain groups have agendas whether they're political parties um, regions whatever it is have a have a narrative that they want told and they'll tell it and they'll tell it and they'll tell it and they'll tell it and tell it again until it becomes truth um to tell them and to a lot of people into generations that follow yeah the to me it's it is you know you have to be careful because you like you're saying you can see kind of both sides of the political spectrum Mm -hmm. making the same kinds of um mistakes i I guess um i it's easier to excuse the ones i agree with of course you know but like okay so in the novel winston starts writing this journal and he Mm -hmm. starts writing this journal because to to maintain his sanity he says right and Mm -hmm. he needs to maintain his sanity because he believes that he you know he, he well he lives in a society that tries to strip people of their what like individuality oh, yeah. of their humanity yeah so much so that they Sime's job so you say that Sime that's mm-hmm. why is his job is to change the alphabet change the vo- vo- the vocabulary so they literally are limited to what they can speak and what they can think right like they really if you look did you did you happen to read the the part of the book that's like the where Winston is reading aloud the portion of the of the revolutionary book like he's literally in bed reading it to Julia oh yeah 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 and one of the things that I'll, sometimes I tell students is kind of skim over that part of it uh-huh. um but not this time um one of the things they in that book was one of the things that the party wants to do is they want to control thought. They are desperate to do that because they do. That's the extreme version of of stripping people of their humanity because they want to know that in their minds, they're not thinking revolutionary thoughts, right? Factual thoughts or whatever. Well, so there's a, there's a a line from a poem that reminds me of a line from a poem. (laughs) Um, Stone walls do not a prison make nor iron bars a cage. And, and so the speaker is saying, you can put me in a prison, you can lock my body up, Mm -hmm. but, uh, that doesn't, you know, stone walls do not a prison make because I have my mind. Yeah. I'm always free in my mind. Well, so this society r- knows that, that yeah. that is true mm-hmm. and attempts to keep people from yeah. even being free within their own minds yeah. by controlling their thought, by controlling their language. Yeah. So the whole, the whole first two books, because it's, it's broken down into, into, into three books. The whole first two books are all about psychological control. Right. Whether it's the... The idea of a thought police, whether it's the um, newspeak, the, the telescreens, the newspeak, uh-huh. the junior spies, uh-huh. Uh-huh. whether it's one day we're at war with East Asia, then the next day we're at war with Eurasia. I mean, just they will be like, so with their, is that um, double think, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That they, I was going to say, du- du- double speak, but I knew that wasn't right. Double think that they, um, Make them believe just crazy things. Well, two plus two is five. Yeah. In the end, that's the bit, you know, that's yeah. the thing that's, um, you know, that, that uh, O'Brien's trying to get Winston yeah. to admit or yeah. believe or whatever. And then in the third book, which made me think of what you were just in that line from that poem, where they start to use physical control, where they take him to the ministry of love to torture yeah. him. 
And the quote that always drives me crazy because O'Brien and, and Winston are talking and, and Winston's like, why are you doing this? Yeah. Why are you torturing me? If you're just going to kill me, just kill me. Right. And O'Brien's quote is, we make the brain perfect before we blow it out. Yep. That the Nazis went to the grave with um, revolutionary thoughts in their brain. The heretics were burned on the stake with revolutionary thoughts. We want to make the brain perfect before we blow it out. And that just creeps me yeah. out. Um, that they that they would go to that extreme to, yeah. to do that. Not just rid, you know, t- take people out, but they will beat you first. Yes. I mean, Torture, psychologically yeah. beat you first. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, obviously, one aspect of humanity is freedom of thought. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and then, like, the right to create a unique identity based on your thought, right? Your, yeah. like... Your passion, your personality. On your thoughts and yeah. your... Right. So, it's like they create a way in the... And this is... I, I have a point that I'm trying to make here, but it's, <laughs> I'm having trouble getting there. Um. So what they do is they create like an age of solitude, I think Winston calls it at one point. In other words, people don't really have any connections with anyone oh, else because yeah. you're constantly suspicious that someone's going to turn you in, you know, or whatever. I mean, even marriage is, um, right. mean, you're well, just, you, you can't show any affection. The only appo- point no for a woman and a man to be together is to procreate. Yes, that's and it. That and is, simple. You know, that is all. But, but like, so my point, what I was trying to say was, you know, on either end of the spectrum, we are so quick to not listen to the other side because we think we're right. Yeah. And, you know, that our, you know, I know in my case, I think I have moral superiority to a certain degree over people who, I'm just going to go ahead and say it, not support a cause, yeah. you know, right, that yeah. is that is so hateful yeah KKK so i do and i struggle to understand try to understand that and but i think you know so we have to be careful i think on either end of the spectrum that we are not trying to that we're not repeating lies Mm -hmm. that we're not screaming so loudly that we are trying to control the way other people think right that's like it's a super talk about another dystopian catch 22 Mm -hmm. in that you know you get to a really tricky point when you get to the, okay, f- First Amendment. Yeah. You do have the right to hate whomever you want to yes. hate. So, sure. you know, where are those lines? And I really, I struggle with that. Yeah. And I think this novel is you know, clearly a hyperbole, but it's like that taken to the extreme, mm-hmm. right? A group of elite people, I don't yeah. know, take power mm-hmm. or in, in control and via controlling thought by using lies Mm -hmm. and by limiting language so that people literally don't have the words to say what they feel Mm -hmm. like if you don't have the word to say what you feel eventually you don't connect with that feeling anymore i guess that's the theory right like so then eventually the feeling goes away because you can't articulate it even to yourself Mm -hmm. the words just don't exist um i don't know I'm rambling now, but that was my, I, I find that really, inter- a really yeah. interesting part of the novel because of course, Winston has this affair before we turn, before we started recording, I was talking about the affair with Julia mm-hmm. and, 
you know, I always ta- I had a conversation with the kids at the beginning of school about that. Like, was that true love? Were they really in love? Yeah. What was that? And what was your theory that you were telling me before, um, before I don't, we turned on? don't think it was love at all. I think it was Winston, you know, in, in the beginning of the book is, is journaling down with Big Brother, down with Big Brother. Like he's he's still having thoughts. Um, and he thought everybody around him were just these little non-thinking conformist. Yeah. Not, I mean, I don't even call them human beings, you know, just blah. Um, and when she slipped him that note mm-hmm. that said, I love you, which is not supposed to happen at all. Mm-hmm. He was excited because she was, a, she was thinking. And right. so what he was attracted to in my mind was, um, her rebellion. Yeah. Like that, her, um, her, her, her acts of rebellion, whether it was cause she was promiscuous and she slept with scores of men. Um, before him she had chocolate which was forbidden for them to have um, that that is what her thoughts that to him that I guess that 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 was her humanity mm-hmm. that is what made him feel alive because there was no other way to be human in that society no um, the only way is to rebel right really so the so you couldn't even you couldn't have any true interpersonal interaction Mm-mm. with someone um and so when he realizes that she is also rebelling and yeah. having these thoughts he is i agree i mean i think he's attracted to the rebellion but it also does give them an opportunity to share things in private Mm -hmm. which you can't do in their world which is really what having a relationship with someone is Mm -hmm. i mean it doesn't have to be anything scandalous but think about your friendships i mean that's what you do you share personal things in private with people that is what you do you are you share your thoughts you share your feelings you're vulnerable and you get to control Yes. What you say and how you say it and all of that. Mm -hmm. So I don't think it was love per se. Yeah. I mean, I think they had a relationship for sure. Um, It just, and so then at the end, when he gives her up and she gives him up, I mean, I guess we're not supposed to be really surprised by that, right? We're supposed to see that coming. But even though I've read this novel more than once, I was disappointed in him and her. Mm Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I am too, but it's, it is tricky because what they, you know, what they did in the ministry of love, they take your worst fear. Like imagine your worst, well, physical fear, right? I mean, my worst fear is, is what would happen to my child or what happened to Drew. But my worst physical fear is I hate snakes. What if they had put me in a room and started to shove my head in a box full of snakes? I don't know. I know. I, you know, it's, no, it's hard I to know, sit here. And, you want to think like, no, I would be stronger than that. Yes. I would be. Yeah. But probably we wouldn't. Would we? Yeah. Like, what would mine be? I don't know. Mine would be like going down in an airplane. But is, I mean, you couldn't, you'd have to have some kind of simulator. <laughs> I don't know if they had that then. <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Like, I'm not. I don't want bugs and snakes crawling on me, but I'm not super scared of them oh my God. in a phobia kind of way. My heart rate is increasing just thinking about them shoving me in a box so, of snakes. I don't know snakes. what it would be. Like dangling me over a box of snakes. I know. I, I like Stop to it. think. 
I like to think I'm stronger, but yeah. I know I'm probably not. But you just think yes. like rats. You can you couldn't just endure rats to not give her up. Yeah. But in the end, but so why why does he yeah. have to do that? Holly, because what do you think that's the point of the novel. Because in the end, right? It the, is the totalitarian government wins, and that you don't want any hope in the end. Yeah, that's true. You want to be scared in the end. Mm-hmm. George Orwell wanted just to think in the end there in a world like this, there's no hope. Um, and you better do something about it. And that's what he's telling them. So in the end, um, he loses, he, he, they both lose their humanity. That's terrible. He holds his sanity, what he starts out trying to do for as long as possible. But in the end, I mean, he. Big brother always wins. He gives that up, right? And becomes the, becomes a ghost of himself. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, there's no hope. You know, just more modern dystopias, like I'm thinking Hunger Games, Mm -hmm. or even Maze Runner, like those, all of those stories that are more modern dystopians, they do have hopeful endings, right? Is it because they're young adult? Maybe. Is Maze Runner, is that young adult? Yeah. I guess that's probably why. Well, And they made them into movies. Well, in 1984 was, it was written for high school students though, wasn't it? I mean, there are people around here who tell me that they read it in high school. Yeah. If you're interested and you haven't read his essay, Orwell's essay, Politics in the English Language, listeners, mm-hmm. I would just like to encourage you to to take a read of that. It's kind of an interesting, it's, um, you know, an, a nonfiction essay, but where he discusses the same kinds of things about the power of language and how we use language to convey thought mm-hmm. and the importance of being clear and precise and not trite and cliche it's a really cool essay um anyway i don't i don't know for sure if it was written for high school students 1984 well um, well i mean i think well after i said that i thought about it because he wrote it as a warning to the west so he his audience was not high school students and coming it is clear it is clearly not coming off world war ii you know i suppose it would have been criminal for him to write a happy ending yeah yeah i mean you could so so there is hope so because stalin was still alive we talked about the we talked about this in class is there hope where can you find hope well you can find hope in the fact that both julia and winston for example they are not always ghosts of themselves they get to, they do rebel. Mm-hmm. They do, and, and what they do, though you could argue, like, did it matter? Without people who are willing to do that, no change will ever come. Yes. So in a sense, I can find hope in Orwell saying, it will require a great deal of bravery. Yes. On the part, and maybe recognizing that too, and what had happened in World War II, but like, you know, it doesn't happen quickly and it doesn't happen fast. But the hope is that there are still people who can't be brainwashed. Yeah. And whether or not um, the brotherhood is real. Yeah. I like that whole part yeah. of the book, too, because it's like whether or not the brotherhood is real doesn't even matter. What matters, in my opinion, is that Big Brother knows yeah. that revolutionary thought, they will never be able no, to squelch it out won't. completely. And it drives them crazy. And so whether they create the brother- brotherhood as a way of outing people, mm-hmm. you know, getting them, or whether that's a real thing, it, it is simply a nod to the fact that brave people will stand up mm-hmm. against injustice 
Yeah. Sometimes it won't have an immediate positive effect, mm-hmm. Winston and Julia. Yeah. But, but more people run. will follow them mm-hmm. and do that. It's not done. No. Or there would be no re- no need for O'Brien and yeah. the Ministry of Love. Yeah. Um, so, that, that, so that's kind of cool, yeah. I think. That's Orwell's pl- way of like placing, sprinkling hope in there. Yeah. I think so, too. And I think we see that in um, in our world today. I do, too. I think that we do see the, like, if we go back to Charlottesville, the UVA students who literally walked into a middle of a torch rally by Nazis and stood up to them. That yep. we do see that there are forces out there working to stand up against injustice. Um, and that gives me hope, too. Me, too. Um, we are, you said, you said in class the other day, H, you said it won't be long until, um, white America is a minority majority. majority. Mm-hmm. Explain that. Um, what that means, cause I teach AP Gov too, and we talk a lot about who our electorate is in America. And so one of the, of the ideas is in the next decade or so, cause right now, um, the 2010 uh, census, America is 63% white. Um, white non-Hispanic is how it is actually labeled. And so that would be what? 37% is my math right? 63 and yes. 100. That's right. Um, is is non-white, whether it's non-white Hispanic, African American, and, and whatever else. Um that in the next decade or so, we will we will be a minority majority, to where all the minorities in America will eventually be bigger than um, the total number of white non-Hispanic, non, yeah, non-Hispanic Americans, and so that gives me hope because I think even even with the Confederate monument debate right now and all that, what we see happening is, in my opinion, and this is just my opinion, we're, so I might, might not, not say, say this, this right, right. <laughs> but in my opinion, what we see is white non-Hispanic America. And African-American. Many of them. All the minorities. Yeah. Well, I mean like white, white fear. Oh, yeah. Because they oh, see yeah, that yeah, yeah. coming. Sorry, That's sorry. where I was going with it. Yes, like it. they feel it coming. Mm-hmm. You know, and um, when with that minority majority, I just think that um, we just as a society aren't going to tolerate bigotry yeah. and hatred and um, and people watching walking around with Nazi mm-hmm. propaganda and screaming that like, I, I just think we're headed in the right direction. I think it's going to be hard. I mean, I think Orwell makes that statement like you don't. You know, you don't squelch out that kind of behavior mm-hmm. easily. No. Mm-hmm. And people die, and it's really hard. But, um, you know, that kind of revolutionary thought, um, and what I mean by revolutionary thought is in particular in the South and in that kind, that kind of thinking, specifically regarding race in America, it, it is revolutionary thought, Um I don't know if it's a generational kind of thing, but this that we just don't do that anymore. That's just that's not who we are anymore. We don't talk that way anymore. We don't need that. We don't need the security of feeling superior. And I see our society headed in that direction. I think it's going to be hard. Oh, yeah. And so one of the things that I think um, 
maybe some people don't believe that it is still out there. Maybe some people aren't on social media. Maybe some people aren't looking into it as much as, as, as we are. And so one of the things that I did to, to educate myself, to really kind of try to understand what exactly was happening in Charlottesville, was it really a free speech debate? Was it not? Yeah. And so I watched Vice was there. Mm-hmm. It's a show on HBO. And you can actually go and you can just Google, I think it's HBO Vice Charlottesville, and it's like a 20-minute, did you watch it? I did. Like a 20-minute, um, there's a news reporter who followed around um, a bunch of the Nazis who were who were there, and just, they followed them and videotaped them, got in vans with them, did interviews with them. It's it's some scary stuff. Yeah. I mean, I, and that's one, I, I, you know, thinking about what you were saying earlier about free speech and, and a lot of people think that coming in and shutting down these rallies violates the first amendment but if you go and you look at what those at what the people at that rally were saying and what some of those nazis believe it's not a first amendment issue in my in my opinion because they are literally threatening the existence of other people mm-hmm. that they believe that Jews, that African Americans, that Hispanics literally do not have the right to exist and they should be eradicated from this earth. And to me, and that's why when we talked about doing this first amendment at the beginning of the year about, about George Orwell. And that's why when we first looked at Charlottesville and kind of said, is this a first amendment issue? And it got tricky. And I think it's, I think it's tricky for some people who, who we think of our country as being free and freedom of speech. And and that's, that's what makes us who we are. And that's why people come here and what have you. But in my mind, when you look at the rhetoric of some of these hateful groups, it's, it's, they threat. They threaten the existence of other people. It's and a human rights issue. It's a human rights issue. Thank you. Yeah, it so, is. I mean, I, I think that that's where I've landed as well with it. Um, with and it so and so to say part. that the people on that side were good people, which is what some of our leaders have said about the people who were there at those rallies in in, in Charlottesville is is. I just don't know. That's so tricky and probably a podcast for another day. Yeah. But it but is, those, it's an interesting conversation, right? Mm-hmm. So, the, and we had this with, with our students. So people who are bigots, racists, misogynists, whatever, you know, can you, can you hold those beliefs and be a good person? And I know we can't necessarily no, yeah. answer that question today, no. but I think it comes down to that, right? And that's where I was, you know, I apologize if my, my political rant got off a little bit but but you know to 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 say this is where i feel like you know like a giant lie said by the leader of a country Mm -hmm. that gets out for everybody to hear like these are good people Mm -hmm. there are good people on both sides the you know the message in that um yeah is 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 troubling troubling yeah yeah and i don't know what to do with it either um you know we even had some of our students say um that they've struggled with their parents or their grandparents and Mm -hmm. you know who might hold um who who hold very different kind of beliefs as a result of where they've grown up and the kind of rhetoric that they've grown up hearing and that kind of thing um 
it gets tricky. Yeah. But by and large, I don't think this country's going to stand for that kind of behavior and that kind of language. Yeah. I don't think the majority. I think that's where the hope is. I do too. Like we just, I literally just had a student come in my room and she said there's a, um, she lives in Charleston, South Carolina. And she was talking about how there's a KKK rally playing pretty soon. And she's part of a group at her school where are going to go to it and who are going to protest against the, mm-hmm. the KKK protest. Um, so, yeah, I think that's 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 the hope um, in that. But that's why 1984 is being brought up so much. Yeah. Of the correlations of of, of between what's happening in, in our world and in our politics right now. All right, dude, I hope, I mean, again, we tried, y'all. We tried. That's all we're doing. We're just trying to have conversations. We're trying to figure it out. And we're not figuring it out yet. We're still, we still got, we have a long ways to go, y'all. And we're just two people. That's a lot. Two just people with a book. Engineer. <laughs> <laughs> we need our third person back. We need back. our third person back. But it is tricky. So thanks for listening to yeah. us uh, go sure on about got, it. Yeah. If you haven't reread 1984 recently, I'd encourage you to. It'll mean something different to you now. Yeah. Um, All right, so where are we going next? Well, I have a thought. You have a thought. Yeah. I had two books, but I think I've decided that we should read. It's called The Golden House Mm -hmm. by Salman Rushdie. Rushdie. It's a new one. Have you read anything by him? Lots of stuff by him. Okay. Um, And he he is very well known for um, his short essays. Uh That I've read a bunch of. He is a, um, a a gifted and really kind of profound. He reminds me a little bit of like Paolo Coelho. He oh, reminds you love me. Him. He reminds me a little bit of Yon Martel. Like he's oh, got a little bit of that kind of stuff going on. Those are Caroline's and, guys. <laughs> so, um, you know. Um, anyway, this is. I don't know anything about this book, so I'm recommending this based on an article that I read in Sunday's paper. Okay. Because this book, this book is just out. Um, but it's getting really good reviews. What's the name and of it again? The Golden House. Golden Salman House. Rushdie. Okay. Um, I don't think we can go wrong with him. Okay. I think. I think it's going to be really unusual. Uh, so it'll be fun. Right. So let's all read that, and then we'll get back together next month. Okay. And chat, <laughs> and we'll have brain number one back. By we then. will. Whew, hopefully. Um, all right, so um, rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. We're on Instagram. Somebody give us some likes or something. We're on Facebook. Put I mean, some stars on there. I really don't know what I'm doing on those social media sites, but I'm trying. Just give us some, you know, because then when y'all do that, then other people can know about us more, Yeah, I think. and that's the whole the point. point. Yeah. And so we're trying to, come on, y'all. No, trying to we're grow. Trying to get out there. Grow our audience. So help us out. All right. Um, thank you very much. See you next month.